All right, ladies, welcome to uh, the study of the Tehillim of David HaMelech, Adav Shalom, and we are moving right along. We're up to chapter 95. Tzaddi Heh. And uh, we, uh, we begin a series of six chapters. Starting with Lechu Nerannena Lahashem. Now these chapters are found in every Sidur <clears throat> as part of the Kabbalat Shabbat. So let's review just Old Hagim. In the olden days, there wasn't really a big ceremony of Kabbalat Shabbat. You just went to shul and you said uh, whatever the prayers were, but there wasn't, a, there wasn't any songs or any rituals to the Kabbalat Shabbat uh, you know, uh, procedure. Until the rabbis of Sfat, the Kabbalists of Sfat 500 years ago, they turned uh, the acceptance of Shabbat into a whole dramatic uh, event. <clears throat> and that's the generation where the great rabbi called Rav Shlomo Elkabetz uh, brings to the world one of the greatest compositions uh, that there is no community. And I say that in absolute certainty. There is no com- Jewish community in the world that doesn't bring into sh- Shabbat without the song of Rav Shlomo Elkabetz. That's the Lechadodi. Lekrat Kala, Pene Shabbat, Nekabelanab. They might sing it in different different tunes, but it's the same lyrics. The only difference we have in one community in the world, and that's the Jews from Aleppo, uh, they skip uh, certain stanzas of the song, not because they want to get out earlier, that's true too, but the reason why they skip certain stanzas is because the rabbis of Sfat 500 years ago, when they wrote their songs, they wrote it with a lot of overtones of Mashiach. Uh, they were, they f- believed that Mashiach was uh, imminent or he was there already and they were very, very influenced in their writings when they wrote their poems all about Mashiach. And uh, they were, uh, they, they, they were led to a, a great upset after Shabtai Tzvi, which is later on, which is a false Mashiach. And after that, uh, a lot of the great rabbis became very uh, uh, gun-shy in any mentioning of Mashiach publicly because they got so hurt from this false Mashiach, so therefore they didn't want to you know, bring the people to uh, false hopes again. So Rabbi Shlomo Elkabitz has some lines in there that refer to Mashiach. The rabbis of Syria said, you know, we don't, we don't want another Shabtai Tzvi again and we're not going to you know, drum the people up into a... A, 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 a frenzy about Mashiach singing this, so therefore they deleted uh, some of those uh, uh, verses, so there will not be uh, any influence uh, of Shabtai Tzvi and or those type of uh, false messianic movements. That just explains why we skip some of those verses, but he is really the first uh, to come along and make the, uh, uh, the song, which is the official song that we enter Shabbat. Now his brother-in-law Shlomo Elkabetz's brother-in-law has to be one of the greatest Mekubalim that ever lived. And he was called Rav Moshe Cordevero. Daramak. Daramak <coughs> married the sister of Rav Shlomo Elkabetz. And uh, Rav, Rav Daramak 
is uh, a student of Rav Yosef Karo, the author of Shuhan Aruch. That's his rabbi. And Ramak ends up becoming the rabbi of Rav Chaim Vital, who was one of the great Kabbalists in Sfat. And the Ariza will say that the Ramak is his inspiration from his books on Kabbalah. Although there's differences between the way the Ariza looks at Kabbalah and the Ramak looks at Kabbalah, uh, I don't think it's uh, for our members to discuss the differences between the two approaches, maybe. When we graduate Tehillim, then we'll go into that. <clears throat> anyway, the Ramak introduces a custom as well in the Kabbalah Shabbat, which is in every Sidur. And that is to... Uh, begin Kabbalah Shabbat with chapter 95, and recite six chapters. Sadihet, Sadivab, Sadizayin, etc. The subsequent six chapters. And again, uh, the Jews of Aleppo will find themselves alone on the other side of the fence. We're probably the only community that does not start Kabbalah Shabbat with Lechun Iranera. We go right into Mizmole David. The last chapter, or whatever, it's not even the last chapter, but the chapter is Mother David, Havud Hashem Bene Elim, and then right into Lechaduti. Now, the six chapters, Ramak will say, represent the six days of the week. Each chapter is connected another day. And we are actually transitioning from the six days of the mundane through the words of the Tehillim. And you'll see that in this chapter also it'll refer to God's creative uh, uh, abilities that he created the world and the oceans and those are weekday, that's weekday talk because on Shabbat we're supposed to uh, sublime ourselves from Olam and get ourselves to Olam so these chapters already are moving us away from the six days of pedestrian, ordinary uh, uh, you know, constructive work in Olam to bring us to the high levels of Shabbat that they say is Me'en Olam which is a, a form of Olam which we'll talk about in a moment. So that's the, that's the famous uh, history of this chapter and the chapters uh, that are coming up. Uh, and it's usually sung by the entire congregation, just like the Mizmur de David is sung in our Kehillot. The entire congregation starts, And simply it means, Let us go now. And Nira means to sing, Lashem to God, Nariya Litsur Yishenu. We will uh, we will call out in praise to the rock of our salvation. So uh, to the Jewish people we call God our rock. Uh, the Guim refer to God as Hashem, but we refer to him as the rock because the rock represents protection. Uh, for example, uh, when we survived the miracle of Hanukkah, when they write the famous song, Hanukkah, Ma'o Suri Yeshua'ati. We call God Suri Yeshua'ati, the rock of our salvation, because he's like, a, God is the rock, he, he, he protects us. Um, it should be pointed out that when they were drafting the, um, the original constitution of the state of Israel, so uh, unlike most constitutions that have the name of God in it, uh, the early founders were not too, uh, what should I say, uh, didn't believe so much that God's name should find itself in the Constitution. Although it's the state of Israel, you'd figure that should have a prominent position, but it didn't. And there was big mahlukot. Should we put it, shouldn't we put it? A lot of them were communists. They didn't have so much allegiance. 
nonetheless, the compromise that they made, and I think it's still in the Constitution today, instead of putting the name of God, Yud Kevavke, they put Sur Yisrael Umoshi'o, which is based on this pasuk over here. Sur Yisrael, the rock of Israel, and uh, it's uh, so Tzur Yisrael, the rock of Israel, eh, it's not so religiously sounding, you can get away with it, you know, it doesn't bother the, uh, it's poetic, it's not Yud Kevavke, it's not in your face, it's not too, uh, you know, won't, won't ruffle any, uh, you know, secularist feather, if you call God the rock of Israel, the rock of Israel is generic, so that's what they ended up putting in. But for our, but they don't realize that the beginning of the pasuk is lechun uh, Hashem. It's yudke vavke. The, the rock is yudke vavke. Nekadema panav betoda. So the 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 psalmist here tells us that whenever we praise God, we must always nekadema kodem before anything. We always must begin with toda, and that might be one of the earliest sources where we start the morning with modeani. Uh, the first thing that praise comes out of the Jewish mouth before we sing any other praises is Moda'ani. We are already grateful. So Nekadema Panav Betoda. We uh, the preamble to all our songs is the song of of gratitude. Bismirot Nadi Alo, and then of course we move to Zemirot. Zemirot are the are the songs and the and the praises. Now I just like to explain uh, <clears throat> this word Zemirot. Zemirot are praises of God, and we have a section in the Tefillah every morning that's called Pesukim de Zimra, which means the Pesukim of, of, of praise. The last uh, five or six chapters of the Tehillim, starting from, uh, I don't know, Ashreh, even before Yichibot, but from Ashreh, we go all the way to the end of Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Bekocho, and we call this Pesukim de Zimra, the songs of praise. But the Arizal learns that uh, whenever a person involves himself in the praises of God, namely, let's say, the reading of the Tehillim specifically, it has the ability to ward off any negative uh, powers or negative forces. These forces are called kilipot. Kilipot are negative forces that would interfere with our prayers to be answered. So therefore, by saying uh, the zemirot, it, uh, it mind-sweeps the, uh, the area, so our natifilot go up, they won't be sabotaged or hijacked by any... Uh, uh, of these uh, negative forces. Now, the word uh, lizmor in Hebrew, exactly, in b- biblical Hebrew, means to prune. The person has a tree. So the Torah says, for example, during the Shemitah year, your vine you should not prune. Because when you prune, you're cutting the tree, it actually causes it to grow faster and more. And you're not allowed to do that during the Shemitah. So, Pesukin de Zimra, according to the Kabbalists, means the Pesukin that prune away the Kilipot, that prune away and cut all the different uh, um, forces that might uh, uh, hinder uh, our Tefilot from being accepted. And that's what it means here when we say, Bizmirot Nari We have two Kabbalists, Bizmirot, with the songs we will sing to you, but the Zimirot that have the ability to, to be Mizamir, two senses of the word, to praise you, but also to, uh, to cut away and to clear uh, the area. That's why Tehillim is so important, God forbid, if somebody's sick or somebody's... So therefore they're being influenced by these forces, the Tehillim has the ability to push them away, just the words themselves of David HaMelech. Ki el gadol Adonai, umelech gadol al kol Elohim. So God is, uh, God is called gadol. What does it mean, Gadol? 
So we always understand Gadol is to mean he's big. He's, he's, he's everywhere. He's Gadol. But we explain it according to the Gaon de Vilna. There's a very important Hadush that we always say from the Gaon, how to explain the word Gadol. <clears throat> There's a Pasuk in Tehillim in another chapter that says, Adonai b'siyon gadol. Veram hu al amin. God to the Jewish people is gadol. But to the Goim, he's ram. Semantics. Gadol means great. Ram means great. What's the difference between gadol and ram? Gaon Mevilna says something incredible. <clears throat> he says, the Jewish people uh, believe that the uh, divine providence of God is not only limited to heaven, uh, but it also manifests itself on earth. The Guim, on the other hand, say, no, Hashem created the world, but he's in heaven, he's in his office, and he's really not too involved in the day-to-day. We say he's involved in the second-to-second, and they say, no, the world is just being, you know, randomness, roll of the dice, happenstance, uh, but did Hashem create the world? Absolutely. So where is he? He's, he's in heaven. Would the world be so chaotic if God was managing it? Would there be so much injustice if God was running the world? Would there be, be so much unfairness in the world if God was running the world? If God was running the world and he knew what was going on, would he let the wicked prosper? Would he let the righteous suffer? Clearly not. And therefore, the randomness that you see in the world is because it's random. It is random. And the chaos that you see in the world is because God is not managing it. Where is he? He's in heaven. Why isn't he managing it? Not because he can't. Because it's beneath him. The CEO of the world should be involved in our, you know, minutiae and our details. Uh, you know, we need, uh, we need certain uh, physical things that are so beneath God's dignity. And therefore, he's too high for this world. Now, if you subscribe to that, uh, you're making a big mistake. We believe that, on the contrary, that as great as God is in the heavens, his uh, divine providence reaches all the way down to earth and he is intimately involved with all the goings-on of human beings at all times. And therefore he's reachable and he's all-knowing. Uh, we say, the Goyim call God Ram. What does Ram mean? Ram means something that is high but is not low. Uh, take, for example, uh, a plane at 36,000 feet is Ram. It's high. Um, hopefully it's not low at that point. It's, it's, it's high in the air. Uh, a cloud would be called Ram. Because a cloud is high, but it's not, it's not low. So, so why do you say Ramagabah? Oh, oh, so we'll explain now. So they explain uh, the pursuit that when it comes to the Goyim, Ram al-Kul Goyim Adonai. Hashem to the Goyim is Ram. And where is His glory? Al-Hashamayim Kivodo. His glory is in the heavens. I say again, Ram al-Kol Goim Adonai, ala shamayim kivodo. And we say, no. Hamashpili lir'ot. God bends down to look, bashamayim ubaris. His presence is up and down. And when you want to refer to something that has height, that is very high, but also is very low at the same time, you would say the word gadol. Gadol means like a tree. A tree is gadol. It starts on earth but then it goes into the heavens. So that is a reference to something that is gadol. A tree would not be ram, because a tree has roots all the way underneath the ground, but then it also goes all the way up. So that would be called gadol. So therefore, ram al-kol guim. When it comes to the guim, God is called ram. So now I read the pasuk, not this pasuk, but the other pasuk that I quoted. 
Adonai Bisiyon Gadol. The God of Zion, meaning the Jewish people, is Gadol. We believe that God is in heaven, but he's also, his roots are on earth. He's Gadol. He's up and down at the same time. He's in Which both locations. Is what is that? That's another Pasuk in Tehilim somewhere. Ah, come on. I know you think I know everything, but I will be very smart and Google it for you after, and I'll be able to find it for you in one second. But this is the Mizmor that we actually say on the holidays before we read the Mizmor. Adonai Besion Gadol Veramu Alkolamim. So therefore we say, God to Sion is Gadol. He's up and he's low. Veramu Alkolamim. That's what we mean over here as well. Ki El Gadol Adonai. To us, to the Jewish people, he's El Gadol. His divine providence is in the heavens, obviously, as well on earth. Umelech Gadol. But to the Goim, he's referred to as Melech Gadol, and he's a, a great king. I'll explain to Melech Gadol what it means. Al-Kol Elohim. Now, what does it mean? He's a great king on all other Elohims. Are there other Elohims? As far as I know, there's only one Hashem. So what does it mean when it says, Umelech Gadol Al-Kol Elohim? And uh, based on the way the Zohar explains that there's called Bar Elohim. Bar Elohim are, uh, for lack of a better word, the children of God. Well, the children of God refer to the angels. And the Pasuk of is saying that even the angels that do have great powers, and they also have great ability, supernatural ability, uh, uh, ability above nature. But the Pasuk is saying, Umelech gadol al-kol Elohim. Elohim represents the strong ones. Even the angels that have divine power, God is the king over all of them as well. Now let's discuss the word Melech for a minute. And these are all, when you study Tehilim, it's worthy to take advantage of words, because that's what it is. You have to know the words. When would I use the word melech, which means a king, or a moshel? Moshel means a ruler. Is there a difference? Big difference. Melech is when the people accept the ruler willingly. So he's called melech. However, a moshel is when the ruler rules over the people against their will. Big difference. And that's why we say, uh, we have a pasuk in, in the Tilim as well, that uh, the pasuk will say that, uh, uh, that when it comes to the Jewish people, we say, Ki ladonai ha-melucha u-moshel baguim. I explained to you the big difference. Ki To the Jewish people, we look at God's uh, uh, reign as a kingdom. We accept it upon ourselves. We, we pronounce Hashem Melech, Hashem Malach, Hashem Yimloch. It's willing, we want. The Guim, however, before Mashiach comes, uh, they don't accept God upon themselves. And therefore God, when Mashiach comes, is going to have to moshel over them and, and enforce himself over until they accept God willingly. So, umoshel baguim. Now, good news, when Mashiach comes, even the Gentiles, when they see the presence and glory of God, they are going to accept God willingly. As the Pasuk says somewhere else, vehaya Adonai lemelech al kol And the day will come where God will be the melech. Now, when is that? Bayomahu. That's, I was going to say far out, but it's not far out at all. It's probably very, very, Close, as I keep on telling you that 
we're, we're at the end of time. But the point is, at that moment over there, all the nations that did not accept God willingly, he was a Moshel, it'll be a Melech. And that's what we say over here. Ki el gadol Hashem. This is referring to the way we uh, 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 connect to Hashem. The way we relate. First of all, he's gadol. We believe his providence is up in that. Umelech gadol. He's melech. He's a, he's a king that we accept on our own volition. Now we talk about some of the wonders of the creation. Okay, this is going into Shabbat. So we're talking about Hashem created the world, and then we're going to move into the upper worlds, which is Olam Abba, which is the Olam of Shabbat. So, Asher biyado mehkere aretz. Mehkere aretz is God creates uh, with his hands and belongs to him. If I say it's biyado, meaning it's in my hand. He owns mehkere aretz, the depths of the earth. And Bode Olam created not only the, the earth, but all the layers and the hundreds of, uh, uh, of miles deep into the earth with all the minerals and all the uh, different uh, uh, assets, uh, stones, uh, oil, whatever you mean, All these things are mehkareerets. They're in the depths of the earth. These are all the creation of Hashem, which is incredible, incredible to, to, to see how rich Hashem's world is. We only look at the surface of the earth. When you start digging with Hashem, put all the treasures underneath this earth over here. I mean, uh, all over the world, there's mining of all different elements. Elements that are, some of them are luxurious, like diamonds and gold. And some of them are uh, necessities of living, like oil and coal and, and things like that. Some people say a diamond is a necessity as well. I'm not, that's not my opinion. Maybe my wife believes that. But the point is, but the point is, uh, uh, we're talking about the wonders of Hashem. Look how much oil, how much oil can be in this ground that Hashem created. Think about how much oil is used every single day. And by the way, there's no shortage. Don't listen to anybody going to say. Uh, according to the, if they would just keep on, they could do this for another 200 years and there'll never be a shortage. It's just so rich. And you don't see it. It's all uh, 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 underneath. And the well springs, and the water that's underneath the earth and all the, so that's Mehkere Aretz. Now, to'afot represents what's above, the high. To'afot would come from the word of. Of is a bird. Of flies. That's high. So, to'afot and the heights, harim lo, of the mountains belong to. So, basically, we're saying God's uh, uh, span of creation is all the way to Mount Everest, to the top of the highest mountains, all the way down to the lowest. Hashem's uh, uh, creation is, uh, is full and all inclusive and all expanses. To God belongs the yam, all the water uh, of the world, the oceans. The yabeshet and the dry land, yadav yatsaru. And the dry land, of course, was created by the hands of God. All this is not Shabbat talk. This is weekday talk. And this is the preparation why we're keeping Shabbat to testify that God created the earth and God created the oceans and God created the mountains and God, and he rested on the seventh day from this constructive work and therefore the Shemirah of the Shabbat is the testimony to these, to these truths. Uh, when, we, when we keep Shabbat, we're bearing testimony and witness. There's a, uh, um, a custom uh, on Friday night 
in synagogue after the Amidah, the congregation recites. And God finished the world and the heavens and the earth. And God completed his work on the seventh day. And he, and he rested. This pasuk over here, these pasukim that we say, Halakha says, you must say it with at least two people. Now, if you have a congregation, you're saying it with a minyan, so you don't have a problem. But sometimes a person prays a long amidah. And by the time he finishes the amidah, they're done with it. So Halakha says he must call his neighbor to recite the vaykhulu, at least with somebody else. Why? Because since testimony in Jewish law, the minimum is two people. Therefore, when you're giving this testimony that Hashem created the earth on Friday night, you must have it at least with two people. So, so there's halakhot of this, of this testimony as well. Now, there's a... Okay, it's a Tehillim class. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to control my, uh, my words for a minute and stick to the Pesukim, but there's a lot to say on, on, on this. Let's just, uh, let's just go further for a second and read the Gemara. Gemara, we have to read because we, we have to read the 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 the, the with the comments of Hazal. So we're reading now from a uh, a midrash on this pasuk. It's a mechilta. Ashira la ki gaogaa. It's a pasuk in Berashat B'Shalach, and it says, "I will sing to God and I will praise to God because gaogaa he deserves these praises. He is exalted." Gemara says, "What do you mean he deserves the praise?" Mashal, I give you a mashal lemadavar dome. So the king, the mortal king, comes into the, into the, into the town. And everybody praises the king. Oh, our king is a gibor. Meanwhile, he's a halash. Meanwhile, he's not a gibor, he's a halash. Oh, our king is the richest one. Meanwhile, he's poor. Our king is the smartest. Meanwhile, he's in tipesh. Our king is so merciful. And really he's cruel. He's judicious. And really, uh, uh, he doesn't have any of the bidot. Which is in, 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 in mortal kings, the people flatter them on virtues that they don't have. And not only virtues that they don't have, but it's the opposite. Because they're flattering him. That's what happens when you force flatter a leader because you want to get on his good side. So you say things about them that are not true. Just look what goes on in this country over here. The nice things that they say. I don't have to go into details, but the point is that there's a lot of chicken. It's, it's, it's not true. So why are they saying these nice things about people that are clearly incapable? Because they want to be on the good side of the president or the vice president or, or whatever it may be. I don't have public opinions on politics. But over here, it says, They all false flatter. But when it comes to praising God, whatever you're going to say is not enough. When you come along and say, He created the mountains. He did. More than that. He created the earth. More than that. Go look what's under the earth. He created uh, all the, uh, the wildlife. More than that, He created the, the life in the ocean. He created everything. And therefore, it's not a, f- a false flattering. Anything that you praise him is actually, you're taking away from his greatness. Because it's really, that's why, Ashira Hashem, sing to God. You know why? Because he's much greater than anything that you're going to sing about him. And that's what it means over here. He has, he has everything. Now, if I would have to explain something deep according to the Kabbalistic books on this pasuk, 
limiting my words, I would say the following. Where do we see which area uh, of the world uh, do we, does God allow a man to develop? I'll give you the multiple choice. Dry land or the waters? Or none of the above? Well, there's not too much development in the waters. Right? You don't see too many condominiums in the waters. Uh, you don't see too much uh, people living in the waters besides the boats. Really, the earth is God created with all the animals and man's obligation is to develop the dry area. However, the yam... As the Pasuk says, Ashiloham. The Yam almost owes us it's God's place. The Yabeshit Yadab Yatsaru. He created Yabeshit, but it doesn't say Ashilo. It's almost as if he created Yabasha and he gave it to man and said, Your job is to build it, develop it, and create it, and make the tikkun. Make the tikkun, make the rectification. The Yam, I handled that already. And that's why the Kabbalists say that when a person goes to God's world, which is the yam, first of all, when you dip in the yam, what happens? You become pure. The yam is a mikveh. That's God's place, the yam. But furthermore, that when you take food from the yam, fish do not need shechita. Why? For that reason. Because it's from God's, from God's world. And Stuff on this earth is created imperfect and man needs to perfect it through shahita, through koshering the meat. But when you take fish out of the water, uh, you can uh, cut it up and make a sushi right on the spot. No shahita necessary. Why? Because it is on a higher, higher level, which explains why we eat fish on Shabbat. Okay, another custom that Aleppo Jews don't do. Uh, everybody else does it, but again, halab, we don't sing the Khadr, we got some Shabbat we got, we don't do anything. But there's the reasons. The only reason why the Halabi Jews don't eat fish on Shabbat is because they didn't have fish in Halab. They didn't live on the water. There was no water. So uh, that's why if you look at our cookbooks, there's no fish recipes in the Syrian cookbook. Because they didn't eat fish. Ask your grandmother, give me a good fish recipe. I never made fish. Fry it, put it in oil and eat it. That's the best you're going to get. But you go to the Moroccans on Friday night, they'll give you 17 different fish. And you say, well, because they lived on the Mediterranean. And they lived on the Mediterranean, so therefore. Fish is going to be a big uh, part of the uh, Sa'uda. You go to Halab, that's it, straight to the Mazah. There's no, there's no fish. Mazah al But the point is, the reason why the tzaddikim eat the fish on Shabbat, because the fish represents that, 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 that perfected place. If, if Shabbat is the Olam Abba area, you're leaving Olam Azeh. So the, the closest area that we have of perfection that doesn't need any tikkun and so is the is the stuff that comes from Ashelo Hayam. Yam belongs to him. Yam is the Yam is fifty, which represents the fifty levels of Kiddushah. It's a, it, there's, there's, there's the deep items over here, and that's why uh, the fish might be eaten on Shabbat. Okay, Bo'u pasuk vav, Bo'u v'nishtachave v'nichra'a nivrecha lefne Adonai osenu. Look at this. These are all different ways to uh, show subjugation to God through bowing. There's three types of bowings. There's one that's called Hishtahavaya. There's one that is called Kiri'ah. 
and there's one that is called Nivrecha. Nivrecha is not blessed. Don't make a mistake on this pasuk. Nivrecha comes from the pasuk Vayavrech et gemalim that the camels were, like an Arabic say, broke. They, they went, they sat down, they crouched. So now let's, uh, uh, let's see the three different levels of it. Hishtachavaya is the most uh, uh, subjugated one. That's when a person goes all the way down, like we do on Yom Kippur. When we say, Baruch Shem Kippur Malchotot, we go all the way down, Hishtachavaya, that's al-apayim, where you go in your mouth, your, your face is basically prostrating on the, on the ground. Nikre'ah, uh, Nikra'ah is the kira'ayim, is by the, by the waist and the legs. That would be like uh, we bow in modim. This is kira'ah, where you're bowing by the thighs, by the, by the legs. The kira'ayim is the thighs, the legs. So therefore, that would be like a modim, uh, where you're just going down. And then nivrecha, nivrecha would be uh, where a person goes, uh, let's say, on their knees, like this. So be, we see somebody proposing, which I don't think that's appropriate, because you only do that to God. You don't do that to, I mean, his wife is important, but I don't know if you should... Okay, I have to ask your rabbi if that's appropriate to kneel. I know that's a custom that the kids started to do today. I don't know if that was an old custom that they did. I don't know where they got it from exactly. Uh, American. American, I'll talk about so for the video, because the video, because the party planner told you to do it, so you do it. Okay, that's another, another item that we have to question if that's really a, uh, the same act. You bow to God, you don't bow to anybody else. Here on the leg to do such a thing. I know if you'll ask the people, say, no, Rabbi, my covenant is not to bow to, 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 to my wife or to my fiancé. I'm bowing to Hashem. Okay, again, it's not, okay, it's not a halakhic class. I'm not giving my opinions on this. Ask your local rabbi. Whatever he tells you to do, <laughs> if he tells you don't do it, he's right. If he tells you to do it, then you ask another rabbi. The point over here is, the point over here is, and, and that's what the pasuk is saying. Bo You should be exclusively in front of Hashem Elohenu, who deserves these forms of uh, subjugation. And now we get to pasuk Zion. Kihu Elohenu. He is our God. am. We are His people. Marito, Marito is his flock. Beson yado, and we're his sheep, so to speak. We are the chosen. Hayom im bekolot What does that mean? Hayom, Rashi says, beolam azeh im bekolot tishmau. If we if we listen to God's word, and we are obedient to His mitzvot, so therefore God will be our shepherd. And we will be treated specially. That's the way that she learns. Today, There's a famous Gemara on this uh, Pasuk that I want to bring to your attention. It's in the Jerusalem Talmud. This Gemara, I heard it maybe when I was seven years old or maybe six years old. The former chief rabbi of our community, Rabbi Jacob S. Kassan, loved this Gemara. And whenever he would speak uh, in the dome, uh, he would speak uh, certain Shabbatot of the year, especially the Shabbat before Pesach. That's when they let the chief rabbi uh, give the derash to the, to the community. And as a child, I remember always quoting this Gemara in his Shabbat HaGadol speech. Usually the rabbi speaks about Mashiach. He was very, very uh, uh, cognizant. And he's a Kabbalist, so he's always thinking about you know, the messianic moment, and he would always make predictions, seven years, and so on and so forth, and 
he, this was the theme of his talk, but he would quote this Gemara. This is the Gemara. Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, Ashkach le'Eliyahu. One time the great sage, Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, saw Eliyahu Hanavi. Uh, for these rabbis, that's uh, par for the course. They met Eliyahu Hanavi and they talked to him like they're talking to their friend. Where did he meet Eliyahu Navi? At the cave of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Where Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai learned uh, Torah. Uh, we made a class trip at the shul last year to Israel. And we went to a very, very holy city called Piki'in. There's a big tzaddik over there, Rabbi Shaya Ishtiri has buried over there. Whoever was lucky to be on that trip over there, we made tikkunim by this great rabbi, Rabbi Shaya Ishtiriya. Whoever made tikkun over there, received a Yeshua, received answers. I'm for, I have a list. Of whatever people, and I'm checking it off. Yes, you got to answer. You got to answer. You got to answer. Wow. You got to answer. Everybody got, I, I pray not to get pregnant, but, but the point is, but the point is, but the point is, but things that are so remote, that came true with the, so in the middle of that uh, tikkun that we made by the Boshaya, I knew that the cave of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is not far off. So I told a few guys who want to go sneak away for a minute, uh, but a few guys turned into the whole trip, as you, as you could imagine. And before you know it, we were in the, it was, it was the day before like Ba'omer. That's uh, right there. And we found the cave where Rabbi Shimon learned for 13 years. It's in, the, in that region. And they have the carob tree still there wow. that he used to eat from. And you see the water that he used to drink from. So anyway, it's a very holy spot. Uh, the tzaddikim were there. Even though they're not there anymore, they leave a roshan. They leave an impression, a holy impression. So we made tefillot over there as well. Anyway, Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, it seems, was in Piki'in. He was in this area. And he was by the cave of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Maybe he was praying there. I don't know what he was doing there. Uh, maybe having a carrot. Maybe it was too bishvat. But the point is, he sees the Yawa Navi there. Now, if you see the Yawa Navi... What question would you ask him? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what else could you ask Eliyahu Navi? You know, when a tomato's going on sale, what, what are you going to ask him? So he tells him, Amar you're the precursor to Mashiach, because Eliyahu Navi has to come. And then, so you know, uh, did you get any uh, briefing uh, in heaven? When, when should we expect Mashiach? So look at the answer. The answer is incredible. Amar Zil Why don't you go ask him yourself? Now to be sure, he didn't know that's an option. <laughs> he didn't know you can ask Mashiach because it means Mashiach must be present somewhere. So uh, he asks him, where is he? I don't know his location. So Azal Gabe tells him, yeah, he's in Rome and he's sitting by one of the gates over there and he gives him all different type of signs how he'll be able to identify him and you go there and ask him. So, uh, he gets there, and uh, he sits next to all the poor people. All the poor people are there. The lowest people, Meskinim, Hazid people, the homeless people, that's where the Mashiach was. And these people also have uh, bruises all over their body, and all day they're always just changing the bandages, just changing the bandages for all their wounds. So Rabbi Yeshua asked Eliyahu, how am I going to know which was Mashiach? He said he has a very distinct way, the way he changes his bandages. He says he only takes a little at a time from his wounds and then places a new one on, where everybody else takes the whole 
bandage off in one shot and then replace it. So when you see the guy that's taking the bandage off one at a time, that's him. There he goes, he looks over there, there's the guy, he sees him over there, one bandage, and puts it on. Everybody else is taking, you know, cleaning the pus and whatever it may be. So he turns to the Mashiach, what do you think he's going to tell him? Shalom Aleicha Rabbi Omori. First, you have to greet the Mashiach. Shalom Aleicha, Mori Rabbi, my rabbi, my master, Shalom Aleichem. It's a big, big tzaddik. They're not going to ask him for an autograph right away. First, you have to respect. Amar Shalom Aleicha, Bardi Peace be on to you, son of Levi. Mashiach doesn't have to ask who he is. He knows exactly who he is. He knows everything. He's a Levi. And incidentally, by the way, when... Nabi Yeshua will come back to Eliyahu and Navi, and Eliyahu and Navi will say, "So what did he? What when you told him Shalom? What did he say? He said he said peace be unto you, Bal and Eliyahu and Navi will say you are guaranteed Olam Abba, because we have a tradition that anybody that Mashiach refers to by name, he only refers to people that are on the list, and therefore you must be on the list. So therefore he, he got good news of Yeshua and Navi. Anyway." He asked him the million dollar question. When are you coming? Imagine that you could ask the Mashiach himself. This is the Nevi. Now Rabbi Kassim would say this, Dirash, and we would be listening to this, and he would say, the Mashiach's coming. That's what Mashiach said. Anyway, the Mashiach got so excited. He ran back to Eliyahu and Navi, and Eliyahu and Navi says, what did he say? He says, I don't want to say anything. But the guy's a liar. He said Mashiach's coming today, and today passed, and he didn't come. Shakure ka shakarbi. He's lying to me. He said he's coming today, and he didn't come. Amarle, he says, what did he say? He said, Hayom. There's an end of the pasuk. There's a, there's a stipulation. Im tishma'u. I come today if the people will hearken to my word. If the people will make teshuvah, I'm ready to come. I have no delay. And therefore, Hakam Yaakov would always say, when the people ask me when Mashiach is coming, I tell them, Hayom, im tishma'u. If the people will listen and make the shuvah, that means there's no, there's no delay from Mashiach's standpoint. From Mashiach's standpoint, he's on, on call. He's on God. It's just that, im tishma'u. Now, I saw from a rabbi, if I'm not mistaken, it might be Ben Ishai, says something incredible. Why does everybody, maybe it's the Gemara itself, why does everybody take off their bandages in one shot? And Mashiach has an interesting practice that he takes off only one bandage at a time. So says the Gemara, if I'm not mistaken, because once already God says he has to come, he cannot waste any second for the redemption. Therefore, if the whole bandage is off, it's going to take him time to wrap the whole bandage. So he does a little at a time. So the most he'll have to delay is one bandage. And therefore he can... That means the Mashiach, when, when, when the time comes, Borei Olam does not even want to waste a second. That's, and the reason why the Gemara is giving this Mashiach to show us how much God wants to bring the Mashiach the earliest moment possible. And if he didn't come yet, 
that God is yearning to bring him any, any moment. And even 10.03 and 4 seconds is not as good as 10.03 and 3 seconds. And God says, there's a difference. And that's why Mashiach is not allowed to take off his bandages like everybody else. Because even one second early to redeem the Jewish people from Galut to God, it's a lot. And that reminds us that how much the Mashiach and, 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 and God, and, and, and I heard from the Baba Cherebi that explained this pasuk. Why does it say, Hayom im bekolot It should say, im bekolot Hayom. If, 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 put the stipulation first. If they listen to my words, then Hayom. So the Baba Cherebi said that the Mashiach wants to say, I'm here already. Hayom, I'm, I'm here, I'm ready. The, from my standpoint, there's no delay. If you would say it the other way, it would sound like, sounds like, oh, do your thing and then uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get there. No, 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 I'm here. Hey, um, I'm, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Look, I have one band to put on and then I'm going to show up. And the, the Kabbalists say, and I heard this from, 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 from the great rabbis, that the reason why Mashiach is going through all this ordeal of the suffering on his body, the bandages and the wrappings and all these things, which some tzaddikim go through this type of pain, is kapara for the generation. Uh, sometimes great tzaddikim or tzaddikim come to the world in order to make tikkunim not for themselves, but for the, for the greater Lord. That's the that's tikkunim of Mashiach only. Oh, these great tzaddikim that accept upon themselves, the neshama accepts upon themselves these tikkunim. And therefore, the Mashiach is doing all this. Could you imagine if he wouldn't go through the pain? Look at all the troubles we went through with Mashiach taking some of it on himself, the brunt of, 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 of Klai Yisrael. And that's why he's the ultimate leader of Klai Yisrael, because he's willing to assume upon himself that Sarot of Klai Yisrael in order to alleviate, or alleviate some of the pain from others. So that's the way the Gemara learns this pasuk. And very appropriate to go into Shabbat. Hayom, Hayom is Shabbat. In Mikodot already we can go to Yomot Mashiach, to Olam so you see there's a, a transition from creation of this world and now we start to talk about the moving into the next phase uh, of, uh, of, uh, of, of Olam Abba. On this pasuk, however, there is another classic essay that uh, I'm going to present to you today uh, for no extra charge. <laughs> there was one of the great Hasidic masters. He was called Rabbi Nachman from Breslov. I don't know what you heard or what you didn't hear. He was one of the masters. That's undeniable. And he was a, a, a grandson of the Baal Shem Tov, who was the father of Hasidic uh, movement and Torah. And he, he lived very young. He died in his 30s, yeah. yeah. He died young. But it's amazing how much Torah this man had on, on a very, very, very high level. Um, his Torah is incredible. The Torah of this, I think it's... Uh, something that you need scholars to pour over it to understand what he said, and he has advice, and he has mishalim, he has a, a lot of Torah. And um, he's buried in Uman. You have people going to visit the, the grave uh, in Uman. I don't recommend it today. It's a little dangerous area in Ukraine. You don't want a stray uh, Russian uh, missile to you know, catch you off guard in Uman. Even if you're saying the Tikkun Klali, I don't know if it's going to protect you. It can protect you from other things, but I don't know from... A, from a Russian missile. That's why people are not going today. But Bezat Hashem, after this thing is over, people will be able to go back and make the tikkunim by his grave. I've been there many times uh, in Uman on Rosh Chodesh Nisan. Now they go this time of year. I'm not a, I'm not a, a breast of, I'm everything. 
show me a tzaddik, and he's legitimate, and yeah, I'm, put me on the list, I'm, I'm one of you. Whether he's a Sephardi, or Ashkenazi, or Hasidi, I'm not, I'm not prejudiced, I'm politically correct when it comes to tzaddikim. I love them all. They're all good, and they all have something to offer, and all their Torah is good. I once went to a big rabbi, Rabbi David Abu Hasera, in, uh, in Nahariya, and he told me, when he looked at me, he says, Rabbi Man, so you have a universal neshama, your neshama is connected to all Jews. And therefore, you cannot let only the Syrians hold you down. You have to be accessible to all the Jews because your neshama is type O, like type O blood. You have a type O soul. It just belongs to everybody. So when the Hasidim say he belongs to us, they're right. Your neshama is that type. All right, so that's why I'm, I'm attracted to all these types of, uh, of Sadiqim. Anyway, he talks about this pasuk in, a, in an essay. I'm going to read it. Ayomim bekolot Talking Rabbi Nachman in, in one of his Torot. Likutei Muharan, Aleph Resh'ayin Bet. Shelo yasim leneged enav ki'im oto hayom. When a person is serving a Kadosh Baruch Hu, the only thing that he must put in front of his eyes is today, is the moment. He must live in the present. And he goes on to say, Hen be'esek parnasah, whether it's when you're making a panasah, worry about panasah for today, vitzdarchuto and his needs. Sadiq shelo yachshuv miyom nachaberon. Don't worry, what's going to be tomorrow? How am I going to live tomorrow? How am I going to pay college when my kid's 28 years old? You don't even have a kid yet, he's not born yet. So you're worrying about something so far away. No, no, no. You should worry about today's moment. How am I going to make it to the day? But then he says, when it comes to serving a Kadosh Baruch Hu, Abodat Hashem, Lo Yasim Lenegdo Kiim Oto Hayom Beoto Asha'a. What is the most important moment in service of Hashem? The moment that you find yourself in right now. Rabbi Nachman is giving us a great piece of advice. Many people, they say, where am I going to start? Where to begin? It's so big. Which book do I start? Which kabbanah do I start? It's endless. And therefore they become so miyuash, uh, they become hopeless, and they didn't even get out of the box yet. They didn't turn on the engine yet, and they're ready, they gave up. And therefore Rabbi Nachman says, the most important moment in your religious life and your religious career is the present moment that you're in now. And you start now. And also, don't be bogged down, he says, by the past. Some people say, where am I going to start? I'm already 50 years old. Look at the past. I went there and I did this and I did that. I'm over. No, the past is out of our control. It's past. The future didn't happen yet. So the only area of life that we have control over is the moment right now. And therefore, Rabbi Nachman says, when a person makes the decision to start serving Hashem, the best moment to start the service is the moment that you went. Not to say, tomorrow, oh, and the next, you know what? Let me marry off my children and I'll have some time. Or let me make some money first. And, and this is the Yetzirah that will always just keep on pushing off uh, the moments. And there's no better time to do it than today. And he says, Ki kishirotzim. When a person wants to enter the service of God, it seems to the Adam, 
it looks like a very heavy load. Especially people that are, 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 are entering it for the first time. The religion is a very heavy piano. It's a grand piano. All these mitzvot, these laws, the don'ts, the do's. Uh, a person who was living freely for most of his life. It looks like it's a masakaved. And the Yitzah says, you will not be able to carry this load. It'll break your back, God forbid. It'll be too heavy. Aval. However, when you say to yourself, I don't have to do the whole work. All I have is today's moment. That's all Hashem wants to be today. Today's the, the tikkun of the today. It's not today. Hashem today. Tomorrow, I don't know. There's no tomorrow. The world's ending today. It's the last day of, of, of the world. Hashem wants my service. And don't push yourself to tomorrow. It's always uh, the busiest day for everybody is tomorrow. <laughs> because everything you plan on doing in life is always tomorrow. And then tomorrow, and tomorrow, tomorrow. And, and nobody has, uh, uh, you're not doing anything today. But tomorrow, we're going to big schedule. Because all my plans are going to start tomorrow. And they're always pushed off. Tomorrow, that's a, can I tell you a story? How Rabbi Nachman is so right. One of the, one of the I'm, I'm grateful to God. One of the greatest projects that I embarked upon was Hashem, only with the, with the help of Hashem Barach. I explained the 2,700 pages of the Talmud on audio. I explained every page, every word, the whole chas. It's such a great thing because all the kids in the community use it to learn Gemara today. But they need to go to school and they need to they learn whatever Gemara they're learning. That's it. There's, every page is explained, and that was Faradi way with our traditions, so they can go to any page of the chas and and listen to it. And people all over, Rabbi, you help me finish this Gemara. But they don't know the story, how it happened. I never told the story, how it happened. Most people think, Rabbi's such a smart guy. He probably sat down and said, what's the need? And we have to do this officially, and they got a tape recorder and sit down. And uh, It happened, nothing like that. I was in the Kolel, and uh, I was having lunch in the afternoon, like I have lunch in the afternoon before I go back the second Seder. And there was a, a Jewish uh, newspaper on the table, like Yatid Ne'eman or whatever, these Jewish newspapers on the table. And I'm eating, I'm looking through it. And it says, uh, to all Dafyumi uh, people, tomorrow we are starting a new Masechet, Masechet Nida, which happens to be the last Masechet of Shas. It's giving you like an advertisement. Tomorrow we're starting. It caught my attention. Oh, tomorrow they're starting. Always, always when you're starting a new thing, it catches your attention. But... It's the last book. Already there's seven and a half years in. My initial reaction is, well, after Nida, they start the new cycle, Berachot. Might be a good idea to start the new cycle. But then I said to myself, Rabbi Nachman said, you start now. If you don't start now, you're not going to start. So I went to the Kolel, and I'm very grateful to Mahabruta, Rabbi Dayan, Eli Dayan, Mahabruta. So I told him, Eli, Rabbi Eli, I said, I have a, 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 a question. I have a, a question. Would you be willing to start learning Dafa Yomi? And his answer right away is, of course. When do you want to start? This second. And we went upstairs. I know I was in Kittisiyon. 
And I put that Gemara Lida. Now, even the Dafyumi wasn't learning Gemara Lida. They weren't starting till the next tomorrow. And I know if I would have waited till tomorrow, by then the Yitzhak would have given me 153 reasons why it's the dumbest idea of your life to do this. But by the time the Yitzhak got his footing, we already had the book in front of us, and we're learning. And by the time we got to Berachot, now we said, let's put this on tape. The only reason why that project came to fruition is because I followed the rule of Rabbi Nachman that says, when you're serving God, you serve God. Now, what is one page in Nida going to mean to 27? What is it? it's, not, it's, a, it's a drop in the ocean. It's nothing compared to the big project. But if you didn't start on that day, when you got the moment of inspiration, so then you're ready, it might not have come to the, to the, to, to the bigger project. And that's, don't say tomorrow I'll start learning. Tomorrow I'll start praying with Kavanah. And then all your good ideas just remain in potential energy, but they never come to fruition. All you have in your life is the present moment. The past, you lost it already. So therefore, you're gonna, people just sit all day long thinking about the past. Oh, the past, the past, it's gone. What are you doing? The future, the future didn't come yet. So who knows if it'll be a future? Only thing that you have in your hand right now is the moment, the sha'ah. Tomorrow has its own calling, it has its own purpose. And that's what the Pasuk means. The day that you have to accept upon yourself to hear the word of God is. It's a big lesson in, in, in life, and not, and not to be. Uh, 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 Worried about your past or worried about what's going to be in the future? Today, Hashem wants me to learn and pray with Kavana. I, I will start now. And I saw brought down in the um, in the Sefarim Kedoshim, and I learned this from my rabbis that some people they don't appreciate the present. Present in Hebrew called Achshav, the, the Achshav moment, the present. Why? Especially when we're young, we say. Well, I have, I have a lot of time ahead of me. But they don't realize, what is, what, is, what is time made out of? Time is made out of increments of akshav. One akshav, and another akshav, and another akshav, and another akshav, and another akshav, and that becomes all of a sudden a mass of time. And therefore, why, why is the later akshav any more important than the immediate akshav? It's, it's, it's all the same DNA, it's the, it's the same, same ingredients. And we fall into the, and the Yitzhara is very clever. And the mashal that they give is somebody that was, has a sack of uh, money on his shoulder. Now, the, the, the one that's going to steal it from him knows that if he takes all of it at one second, he'll feel it. So what does he do? He goes in and takes a quarter. And the next day he takes a quarter, and then takes a quarter. And it's so gradual that the person doesn't feel, before you know it, the ganab has more in his pocket than the guy's carrying on his shoulder because he did it in small increments. And that's the Yetzirah. The Yetzirah comes along and just keeps on taking a little of your time, a little of it, and th- th- today, and one day, and you don't feel it. You know, but before you know it, at the end of life, he has more of your days than you have. And then you realize that you, you gave it to the, to the crook and then the ganab took it. That's why the delay and the procrastination of, of service of God is the greatest, greatest 
a tragedy or the greatest danger or peril that, uh, that, 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 that we could find ourselves. And that's why Misilat Yisharim has a whole, has a whole book, uh, and a whole chapter dedicated to Zirizut, uh, alacrity, uh, zealousness. And he talks about the dangers of, of delay. There's a pasuk uh, in, the, um, in the Torah that says when God came to Moshe, it says, Vayomer Hashem el Moshe, Remember that story? What is in your hand? Vayomer Mateh. And he says, the staff. The staff is the, is the stick. But the Rabbanim learned this pasuk so beautiful in Musar. But there's very little that we have in our lives that we control. Uh, this is something all the control freaks have to hear because they think that they're controlling, but they're ultimately they're not controlling uh, almost everything, which means most things are being already ordained in heaven and guided by heaven. There's one area that Bore Olam leaves for the humans to express themselves, and it's probably the only area where we have some sort of decision-making. And that's to decide between right and wrong. That's called free will. It's interesting. That means this one area God says, I'm not getting involved. This is your business. Free will. You decide. But you're controlling me. I'm not controlling you. I'm, I'm controlling how much money you're going to make. I control your health. I control all the stuff that's going to happen to you. How long you're going to live. All that stuff. I mean, you have to be smart. But at the end of the day, what I'm saying is smart. But I have nothing to do with right or wrong. Right or wrong, that's one area where you have full control. It's called Bechira Hoshit. And you could decide if you want to turn to the right or you want to turn to the left. Now, if you turn to the right, God's not going to come to you in a hundred years and say, I made you do it. No, no. God's going to say, you turn to the right, it was all you, therefore I give you reward. And if you turn to the left, you can't say to God, you made me do it. No, no, no. I don't have strings on that puppet. I don't control right or left. Right or left is your decision and therefore you're going to be held, we're held accountable for those decisions. If we were preordained to sin, then how can we be held accountable? How can God punish us if something that we were pre-programmed? We're not pre-programmed to do right or wrong. Which, interesting ladies, just as a, as a, as a, as a caveat, it comes out that when, uh, as a, when I was young and I was, thank God I was always religious, but, you know, it was always the, the naysayers that harass you because you're religious. Some people, it bothers them. I don't know why it bothers them. It bothers them. Uh, maybe because they're not religious yet, so therefore they get intimidated. I don't know exactly, I'm not a psychologist. You have to ask the therapist exactly what, what's bothering these people. But something's bothering them clearly. And they used to come and tell me, you're brainwashed. Uh, and and uh, you're, 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 uh, you're hypnotized or you're a zombie. All these things. And, and I told them, listen, I learned uh, uh, from a Gemara that says that when anybody calls you something, it takes one to know one. They're projecting their own weakness on you. So I said to myself, if you're calling me a zombie and brainwashed, that must be you, but how are you brainwashed? You look so free. You look so, but you're calling me that, that must be that's what you are. And school used to say, it takes one to know one. And then I came to the conclusion that somebody that gives up their free will, so they're really in control of nothing. Those people that at least are involved in the struggle of right and wrong and making religious, at least there's one area that they're in control of. But if you give that up, you're in control of nothing. So who's the real zombie? Who's the real uh, 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 hypnotist? You, you, you gave up, you do nothing, you do avirot all day long, you don't even struggle to make a decision. So you give everything to God. 
all the stuff that you're doing, your money, your health, it's cosmos. So what are you, you're doing nothing. You're, you're a full puppet. Me, at least, I'm 99% puppet, but I have one area of my life that I took into my own hands and I'm trying to steer the ship and turn it right and keep it from turning left. That I'm doing. So who's, who's, who's the one that's being uh, uh, taking control of their life? The one that's involved in religion. Nobody forced you to come to this class, ladies. You made a decision to come here. It wasn't preordained and predestined. And, now, I, I will be, be clear. It's up to us to make the decision. Whether we're going to succeed at that decision, that's up to God as well. Which means I can make a decision, I'm coming to class. And then God could say, uh, you're not going to get there for whatever reasons. Now, I will get credit, however, for the, for the decision to come. That's all God says. You get credit for your decisions. Whether you're going to succeed to execute or not, you're back into God. So even in our religious decisions, there's a certain amount where it's out of our control either. I could say, I'm setting my alarm tomorrow morning, five, is it that? I'm setting my alarm tomorrow morning to get up at five o'clock in the morning to go to shul. And I'm going to be prepared. And all of a sudden, what happens? The alarm malfunctions. Or I, 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 I didn't get up. Not my fault. I prepared everything and there was external. I get credit. But God said, for whatever reason, you couldn't execute it. Okay, so now let's go back for a minute. God tells Moshe, listen how beautiful. What's the only thing that's in your hands? What's the only thing that you're able to control? You know what Moshe answered? Mate, mate means to turn. Which way I'm going to turn? Lehatot. What's in my control is mate. Am I going to turn to the right to do a mitzvah or lehatot? Mate, not from lashon staff. Mate me lashon lehatot. Lehatot means to turn, which means direction. The direction that I'm going to choose. On, in my life, that's the only thing that I control. How many children am I going to have? How long am I going to have? How much money? Not my, I don't control that, that, that feature. And that's the lesson with Rabbi Nachman from Breslov is saying over here. That when it comes to free will and choosing, better to choose today than to wait. And don't worry about past performance because past performance, God says, whatever's past already, you can make the shuvan, you can delete it, and you can start afresh today. And future, it didn't happen yet. Therefore, what, what, what are you sweating about something that you don't even know what's going to happen? Most people are, the biggest fears of people, most of them, they never even happened. Most people, if you ask them, this, the thing that you were most afraid of in your life, they'll tell you, it's funny, it never happened that I and they were so afraid of it their whole life, and it stymied them, and it paralyzed them, and they couldn't get out of bed because of it, and it never happened. It was just a phobia of something that never materialized. But it's the Yitzhara, to keep the person always delaying. And that's why the Pasuk will always say, in Kiryat Shema, Asher Anuchim Esavecha, Hayom. You'll always see the word, Hayom, Hayom. There's no greater day than the present. And that's the Pasuk that we need here. If you're, if you're interested to know, Rabbi, what's the best day of the week to be Shomeya Lekol Hashem? The answer is, whatever day it is today, that is the best day. We'll stop over.